All right, welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary. We are your podcast to get you through the apocalypse. How's that sound? Um, except not really because we haven't been here for like half the apocalypse. The latter half of the apocalypse. Is that a, is that a better phrase? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're surviving. We're, that's all that matters. We, we are here... For you, our sweet listeners, uh, just, you know, inconsistently, as is our shtick. Anyways, I'm your host, Haley. Over there is my co-host, Steven. Hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> uh, surviving the apocalypse, that's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I hope everyone is practicing their social distancing, but, you know, staying connected with those phone calls, with some instant messaging. What am I from f- fucking 2000? Yeah. No. Um, and some messaging was where it's at, Haley. It's what I it was, was where it's the at. regular I am Hangouts, uh, um, uh, AOL, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. Man, oh my goodness! Oh, yeah, AIM. I was ooh, on that on right now. It's more like sliding to my Twitter DMs, but like not with a dick pic. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. yeah, that'd be weird. So in any case, if you're new to the podcast, we are here to tell you stories about the ridiculous things that the wealthy have bought or done through the ages, because as long as the wealthy have existed, they have been, uh, they've been spending that money just stupidly, just stupidly. This podcast absolutely will make you very angry at the upper class, but hopefully will bring you a little bit of joy just at the, um, absurdity of it all. Because... Who doesn't need some absurd joy right now, especially with all the banana stuff that's going on right now? I think some absurd joy <clears throat> is definitely necessary. That's it absolutely for shit, sure. Absolutely. Well, Haley, <sighs> I think you're up first, kiddo. Okay. I'm I'm totally down. I would like to preface this by saying um, I, I wrote too much. This might be my first two-parter episode, honestly. If we decide that I'm going on too long, this is... We're, we're making these decisions live, folks. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we are... We, we need to... We'll have to make the decision as to whether or not I've been rambling for too long because this guy uh, that I'm talking about was legitimately the reason why I initially wanted to start this podcast. Ooh. Um, and you're, and you're and just I'm now finally, bringing it up now? I'm finally getting around to him. It's just the, the, well, I have found so many good topics, and I wanted to dedicate the right amount of time to him. Sure. Um, and even still, I'm, I'm, I'm still nowhere near covering everything that this man has done. Uh, there is a portion in my paper that I literally just wrote, reference entire article here. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Because others wrote it better than I ever could. Um, Sounds like you have a wealth of information there, Haley. I have a... Oh, man. The, the first one's free, folks. you got to pay for the rest. Oh, God. Get out of here. Uh, that is not what we're here for. It is what we're It's here absolutely for. what we're here for. Let's be honest. Oh, oh no! You exhaust me. Okay, uh, um, I'm sorry. You can change the subject now. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting before you can work anymore in there. Um, okay, so I I started my paper by writing. Once upon a time, I was sitting in my office with my coworker, and uh, my coworker was telling me about his weekend visiting his friends in San Luis Obispo, California, and I was intrigued. 
I was so intrigued that I suggested to him that we make a podcast together because the place that he had visited during his uh, weekend visiting his friends down there was so outlandish. Uh, I just, I, I needed to make fun of it. And both he and I were podcast junkies. Well, it ended up that he moved to San Francisco, but I liked the idea of a podcast so much that here we are. And this is our 25th episode, so it feels relatively appropriate um, to talk about the, the place that intrigued me to do this. Um, I mean, I, I would very much like to go to this place because it's only like six hours-ish away from me. I did manage to make it to the Winchester Mystery House. Ooh, So nice. I feel like I could potentially make it here one of these days. But certainly not right now because social distancing is a thing. Yep. Uh, Huge thing. I am in my house. I am staying in my house. <laughs> I'm going to be playing. Um, I almost said Stardew Valley, but no, I meant I Animal Crossing. Meant. Absolutely. Animal Crossing. Oh, it's so ooh, good. Ooh. It's, it's so, it's so good. good. <laughs> Did me giving you a shovel help you out? Yeah, yeah. And like I, oh gosh, I messed up. I'm sure our listeners, I'm sure some of them, most of them are playing Animal Crossing. But like I, I found the little glowy gold spot where I was supposed to dig it up and then plant, you know, to get a money tree. And mm-hmm. I accidentally pressed like the dig button instead of my inventory button because I don't do Switch. Uh... I'm a PlayStation kid, people. So I ended up pressing the dig button again and it just closed up the hole oh so now i gotta wait till tomorrow to get another gold glowy blade thing yeah i got another glowy today so it's it's all right you'll you'll get another one have you planted a money tree i think you're i have planted a money tree but um i think you're only allowed to plant one because i found another sack of change today and i was like i'm just gonna have a whole forest of money trees and i tried planting it and then it, it didn't plant it it just like reburied it as if it were treasure for me to find mm. so <laughs> that was interesting but yes i do have a money tree but i think because you haven't planted yours yet you you should you should be able to live like the rich and have yourself a goddamn money tree yeah i wish money trees existed good lord can you imagine um like that would yeah, solve be... everything <laughs> it wouldn't I mean, though it would cause so much inflation are you kidding yeah, that's me true. that's it, not that's, that's true not, that's not how economics work <laughs> that's true like overnight the dollar would, would be well every form of currency would be worth nothing it would just be, it would be worth paper. nothing it's like one of those countries where you spend like three trillion of whatever the currency is and it's worth like three dollars but it would solve the toilet paper issue Oh, fair. However, but however you know briefly. what also solves the toilet paper issue is the fact that uh, Garrett and I just bought a bidet. So you did. <laughs> yeah, you bought a bidet. And we we bought a bidet. But oh, you know what I just remember? No, I don't. I want that really expensive Japanese toilet paper. <laughs> I'll send you some. Do you think that they when's have your, any stuff? When's your birthday? <laughs> May twelfth. Oh, we got time. Oh, we we got time. We got like two months. Yeah. What were we talking about? I don't know. Oh, right, my I still topic. Can't, I okay. still can't move past bidet, but go ahead. It was a good investment. I'm going to stick with it. Um, it's going to stick with you, that's for sure. No, the bidet washes anything sticky away. Fair point. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Things got real gross real fast. Okay, here's a little history into... 
Uh, into the man that built the place that I'm talking about, but I'm talking about both a place and a man. You can't talk about one without the other. I mean, you could, but it's, uh, you need both. Um, so let's take a trip back to the Gilded Age mm. and then move forward to Hollywood's golden era. Yes. Let's talk about business tycoon and douche nozzle extraordinaire, William Randolph Hearst. Ah, good old Hearst. Good old Hearst. Um, So I'm assuming you've heard of him. You obviously had, but uh, that was more of a you, the the royal you, the listeners you. Yeah, the royal listeners. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I've I've heard of Mr. Hearst a few times. Yep. uh, Poets are in Hearst, I think. God, how many times do we reference Newsies on this podcast? Um, Not as many, but uh, a few times now. (laughs) A couple of times. Too many. Um, William Randolph Hearst was born April 29th. Uh, 1863, to George Hurst and Phoebe Apperson. His father, George, was a mining engineer who became a millionaire by inventing something or other during the uh, gold rush. So, uh, basically, gold rush happened. George figured out a faster way to get gold. People bought his stuff and, whoo, wealthy. Um, His father then became a uh, senator, so... Uh, William Randolph Hearst was raised very wealthy. Um, in 1880, uh, George, his father, uh, was given the San Francisco Chronicler, a newspaper, as a settlement for a gambling debt, which is wild in and of itself. That was a crazy sentence I just said. <laughs> Someone gambled a newspaper. I mean, like why the not, ownership right? of a newspaper, not just like a copy of a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, as uh, rich people thinks. Um, so George didn't really want anything to do with newspapers, but uh, held on to it. Uh, he just kind of tucked that in his back pocket and was like, sure, I own a newspaper now. I'm going to be hands off, though. Uh, then, seven years later in 1887, when William Randolph Hearst was 25 and looking for something to do, uh, George just gave the whole newspaper to William Randolph Hearst and said, here, use this as a job. Uh, And it turns out Hearst took to journalism like a goddamn duck does to water. It's one of my Uh, favorite analogies. (laughs) Right, it's a very good analogy. (laughs) Um, Hearst wanted to expand his newspaper horizons, so uh, in 1895, he bought the failing New York Morning Journal and then proceeded to get into a big dick measuring contest with Joseph Pulitzer, who owned the New York World, a competing newspaper. Uh, These two, yes, hence newsies. These two managed to create a a sensational writing style called yellow journalism, which, as I hope you know from history class, is um, basically a lot of the hot garbage that perpetuates uh, sensational headlines and uh, articles with not a lot of body to them. And, you know, lies. Yeah. Today we would call it fake news, but yellow journalism sounds better. Yeah, more Um, palatable. Little paddle, yeah, I would say so. <coughs> Anyways, um, this Dingleberry gets filthy fucking rich off of his fake news empire. Do you call him a Dingleberry or a Dingleberry? Dingleberry. He is the poo on an animal's behind. Nice. Um. Anyways, 
he got so rich, he decided, I miss California and San Francisco. And my daddy owned a very large property that he would take me to as a kid. And my mom just died. So I've inherited $11 million and the property. I think I want to have something built out there. Um, any guesses on how much $11 million was worth as his inheritance? In today's money? Yeah. Okay. Um, inflation. Da, 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 da. Just throw a number out there. Half a billion. Mm, no, a little less. It was 162, $213,052 million. It's a lot of millions. It's a lot of millions. Yeah. It was Ooh. a lot. It was it was quite a few millions. That's a lot. So, yeah, anyways, he wanted something built. Boy, howdy, did he go for it. Um, and, and as... I'm going to right here, as much as I've currently been pooping on Hearst, because he deserves it, uh, I will say he did one very cool thing. He hired a female architect. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. He hired her in 1919. Her name is Julia Morgan. Uh, She deserves everything. We like Julia Morgan. She's amazing. She was the pioneering woman architect. Of the 20th century. Of ever. Because she's, you know, one of the first female architects. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like an interesting story in all of itself. Like, especially being a female in the 20s. Or or just in the, not in the 20s, but in the Gilded Age. And being an architect, which you would think it would be predominantly a male job. Especially in that time and day. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty so, cool. So, uh, Julia Morgan's cool as hell. Basically, she was going to uh, college in, I think, Stanford. Don't quote me on that. Um and and uh, Hearst had gotten her name from an acquaintance and was like, sure, she seems like she's got cool ideas. So that was actually like a pretty baller thing for him to do. Um, anyways, <sighs> what Hearst told Julia to design makes him seem like a rich bastard. Cool. Because uh, what he said about developing... His 250,000 acres of land, he asked her to build, quote, something a little bit more comfortable up the hill. <laughs> That's how he described it. And That's how I he described it. want something a little it. more comfortable up the hill. A little more comfortable up on the hill. Go and make it happen. Thanks. Bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please. Also, do we remember how we were just, like, applauding Hearst really quickly for hiring a female architect? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm about to ruin that. Nice. Um, so <laughs> Hearst knew full well what he had on his hands, and he said, quote, the best thing about this person is I pay her almost nothing as it is a woman, end quote. <laughs> of course. Of course. Gilded Age yeah. douchebag for the win. Oh, my God. He's such a dick. Just like he he bragged about that to his friends. That's why we have that quote is because he he was like, she's building me amazing things. She deserves everything, but I don't gotta give it to her because she's a woman. Mm. Fuck you, Hurst. Yeah, right. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so, 
Anyways, wow, we got through that first page a lot faster than I thought we would. Nice. Good job, us. Good job, Haley. Um, yay. Um, anyways, so begins Hearst Castle. Hearst Castle. Uh, Good. Hearst Castle. Good. I love it. Yeah. Hearst Castle, built between 1919 and 1947. That is 28 years of construction. Mm. Yes. Uh, though it was built enough that it was very much so used for hardcore partying in the 20s and 30s. Um, let's see. Quote from keystothecoast.com. William and Julia spent 28 years and $36 million building the magnificent 127-acre Spanish Mediterranean 165-room estate. He also spent another $50 million, yes, million, on the largest private art collection held by one person. The castle also featured the largest private zoo in the world. No way. Private zoo? Yes. Yeah. So here, I'm just going to go ahead and send you a little, a little quick thing to look at. Okay. Ooh, okay. Well, this, this so like a... this is a photo of Hearst Castle. Oh my gosh, look at that thing. It It is expansive, is what it is. It's very expansive. It, it's, um, I don't know, it reminds me of just like a Spanish missionary, like, m- mega church. Yeah, see, Perhaps. Yeah, this actually looks like the final setting for, like, the end of a James Bond movie. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. It's definitely the setting for a James Bond movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this, this is where, like, Dr. Octopus or whatever, whatever a Bond villain, hashtag Bond villain, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Bond villain. This is where Dr. Bond villain and all of his <laughs> uh, cronies are hatching out the next nuclear warhead destruction phase plan i'm just gonna let you keep going with this idea you're struggling a little bit but i just want to keep talking yeah no, keep going through yeah, it no, no. keep working through this idea yeah, ab- workshop it with me yeah absolutely like and like my 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 video game nerd is coming out like i'm looking at this like in levels i'm like all right there's the first level there's the there's the interior i gotta scale that wall and there's guards patrolling through the courtyard i gotta get through that courtyard and then there's, there's like a like a uh, like a guardhouse or like maybe like a, a barracks place right there and then i got to get to like the second level of this place and then and then my my my, my boomstick goes bam and the, the bad guys fall and <laughs> and then I, I i go and i rescue the the girl and score the touchdown the end <laughs> you scored a you scored a touchdown i did, I did. goal yep, goal go sport go sports ball that that's how Go sports I, I just explained like the whole principle of sports ball, right? That was literally yes, the that was whole absolutely principle sports of sports ball. Okay. Most of the time in sports ball, I do recall people having to like climb towers, rescue people. Yeah. Yep. There are guns involved. Yes. Yep. yep. That's just your average sports ball average. game. So average. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm looking okay. at a massive like Disneyland esque type castle, and it's it's just breathtaking. I mean, it's I mean, it, putting aside Hearst, it's breathtaking. It's awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous, and, and and that's one thing about this podcast is that I always love admiring the things that were built or done. It's just when you take a step back and you just have this like, oh, I will never have that kind of money sort of right. feeling that it that it starts hurting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts really aching, and you start like you know feeling the void that's that is your wallet. And you're like, oh. <laughs> 
Just start weeping internally. Oh, not even internally. It's externally, baby. Mm, no, I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, from Wikipedia, Hearst Castle has a total of 42 bedrooms, 61 bathrooms, mm. 19 sitting rooms, <laughs> 127 acres of gardens, indoor and outdoor swimming pools, tennis courts, a movie theater, an airfield, and during <laughs> Hearst's lifetime... The world's largest private zoo, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, continuing the quote, Hearst was an inveterate rethinker who would frequently order redesign of previously agreed and often built structures. Uh, the Neptune pool was rebuilt three times before he was satisfied. Uh <laughs> He was aware of his propensity for changing his mind. In a letter dated the 18th of March, 1920, he wrote to Julia Morgan, quote, all the little houses, wait, oh, quote, all little houses stunning. Please complete before I can think up any more changes, end quote. <laughs> Good night. So he's at least aware that he's absolutely shitty to work for. Sure. Can you imagine having built and almost completed something, and then having the owner come up and be like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's we, it's it's all gotta go." It's, shall Shall I remove it all, sir? It's, it's all gotta go. Oh, okay, <laughs> sure. But but, but I, I literally just placed the last brick. I don't care. It's all gotta go. <laughs> you need to rip that up. That's yeah. entirely the wrong shade. I wanted beige. You gave me off white. <laughs> Do I do I get a break first? Yeah, yeah. You, no. you, you got your mandatory fifteen. You got your man. Your government mandated fifteen minutes, and then back out. I don't think that even existed back then. There weren't OSHA compliances. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, it's the twenties. <laughs> eh. All right. Um. So this is about the zoo from Hearst Hearst uh, Castle's website, which there is a website you can visit. It is for the most part. Uh, not very helpful. It's just like tiny blurbs on everything. So I had to dig around for other things. But this was helpful. Quote, uh, the zoo did provide a rare and overpowering visual display. There were two separate zoo, com uh, zoo components. There was a menagerie of caged animals uh, that was located a few hundred yards north of Hearst Castle. The other component was large fenced enclosures that provided habitat for 50 species of herbivores. In a letter to his architect, Julie Morgan, Hearst stated that he wanted his guests to feel as though they were driving through an area populated by interesting and exotic animals in their natural state and not a zoo. <laughs> and then, next quote. Uh. Exotic animals which grazed the hillside included... African and Asian antelope, zebras, both Bactrian two-humped and dromedary one-humped camels, uh, sambar deer from India, red deer from Europe, axis deer from Asia, llamas, kangaroos, ostriches, emus, Barbary sheep, Alaskan bighorn sheep, musk oxen, and yaks. As many as four giraffes were kept in a small pen located next to the road. Why the giraffes got to be in a small pen, Hurst? Yeah. Those are some of the largest animals. Why you got to do that? Why you got to do that? Why you gotta be but that also, way? can we just discuss the fact that there's uh 
50 different species from literally all over the, the world just all thrown into an open space together. They're all herbivores, so they're probably not going to kill one another for meat. But, like, I don't know if they got along. Mm-hmm. That's probably not how a zoo should be made. No, that's definitely not how a zoo should be made at all. Yeah, so. What a guy. I I do desperately wish to see it in its heyday, though, because he just essentially made a safari. Yeah, yeah. But at what cost, Haley? At what cost? However much buying all of those animals cost. (laughs) Which was probably a lot. He had them all imported. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you have to buy the animal, and then there's the import cost. That's bananas. I just enjoy the idea of kangaroos being with llamas. That seems like a good combination. One's spitting, the other one's kicking. I can't see it going well, honestly. Yeah, I can't see them getting along at all. Okay. Um, And now this is the point in which I ask you, do I save the rest of this for another episode, or would you like me to power through? Do we want this to be an extra long episode? No, let's let's uh, let's do it. Let's have you do a two parter. Okay. Yeah. I will do a two parter then. So, um, everyone, tune into the next episode, which hopefully will be recorded, you know, soon. Yes. So you can have the rest of Hearst. But uh, I think we can all agree that Hearst is a but. Yeah. He is a but Tool with bag. too much money to spend. He did one cool thing. And then immediately ruined it. So, yeah, good takeaway. Good takeaway. What a guy! What? A, what a guy! What a guy! Man. Yeah. So next episode, I will give a little tease. Uh, next episode, I will continue talking about his many exploits. Most of them are party related. Oh. He threw a lot of parties. I have no doubt. Like a lot. I have like no a lot doubt. of parties. Like, so I don't know if next episode will be nearly as long because I don't have as much to like go through. But uh, that is the point in which I have the reference of refer to article list here. I love that so you actually we'll have maybe a just ref- read directly from an article. <laughs> I love that you actually have a point in your notes where it says refer. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's how I function. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, shall we go to Chump Change? We shall. All right. Chump Change. You got anything for the Chump Change, Jack? Did you know that in Sweden that there is a... They call it a cure for blindness, but it is a very, very... Oh, what's the word? experimental treatment that cost over eight hundred thousand dollars a year in sweden Mm -hmm. huh yep that doesn't feel right for scandinavia yep well that's that's it's it's yeah it's it's at this like the specialty i was looking at it actually today uh, because i was just really curious about like you know what people have spent on healthcare and um and just like on different you know cures you know and, and honestly it took it took me to a place where like there's a guy that i 
I haven't researched fully, but there's a guy I really want to talk about that was, he was interesting. But all right, I look forward yeah, to him. Yeah, but no, but I, I I saw like it was like you know some of the top ten like most expensive experimental type treatments, and one of them was like yeah, it was a experimental treatment in Scandinavia for blindness, and it was like upwards of like eight hundred thousand dollars, like for, like that's patient cost. And is it like? Can you explain the procedure more to me? Yeah. Like, is it? I clicked off of it. Let me find it real quick. Because I just want to know: is it? Is it? Do you have to have some sort of site left over in order to do it, or is it, uh, like, full blindness? Like you've been blind from birth. Let me see. So, it is actually okay. So it's not Scandinavia. It was actually it was developed here in the U.S. Scandinavia is something different. Um, but I was gonna say yeah. it did not seem like a yeah. Scandinavian no, thing. No, it was developed. Yeah, it was developed here in the states. Actually, um, I'll, I'll have to find no out. No wonder there, it costs there, so much. There, but there is something that that is based in Scandinavia that is like cure or health related that was super expensive. I'll have to look it up later. But now this is a medicine called Luxturna, which is a medication against hereditary degeneration of the retina that can lead to total blindness. Okay. And it is sold for $850,000. And it is administered in a single dose. So, at retail, it retails for $425,000 per eye. Wow. So. I mean, that's a bit of a miracle if it does work. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean. You'd just never be able to afford that. It... And, th- and it is in the experimental stage right now. It is in the experimental but I can't stage, see what- and it is. I will say that this is this particular medication is emerging from gene study and gene therapy. Cool. So, um, yeah. So taking the the the, the, the defective macular genes, studying those, and like seeing what causes macular degeneration, seeing what causes blindness, and then they said that they've kind of worked in reverse. All right, that's actually really cool. So, yeah. but like the price tag is still still oof. Yeah, oof is uh, definitely right. Ah, yeah. I knew it. I knew I saw something about something in like something in Dutchland related. So there is actually a a medication that is um, called um, Glybera, G L Y B E R A, which is developed. It is a Dutch developed. Um, company called Unicure, which sells um, this particular treatment for um, either macular degeneration or other genetic maladies, and it is for $1 million per pop, per thing. Ow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Crazy. So, yeah. I mean, if you got the money, drugs. Drugs. Yep, that's it. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That was interesting and also heartbreaking. True. Um. Would you like to hear my chump change? If I said no, you're going to still tell me anyway. So, of course I would. <laughs> you're not wrong, but that was rude. Ugh, mine, isn't, mine isn't as long as yours, but that's kind of the purpose of chump change. They're palate cleansers. Yes. Um, I don't have a price tag associated with this, but uh, it's absolutely something that a large corporation can just do. Okay. Uh, 
sometime in 2014, Little Debbie, you know the snack maker, mm. <laughs> Little Debbie launched a cosmic cupcake and a bobblehead into space. <gasps> that is so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> it was to celebrate their um, their new item, which was a cosmic cupcake, which is a combination of uh, Little Debbie's chocolate cupcakes and, and the their cosmic, cosmic brownies. brownies. <laughs> so anyways, they decided that the best way to do that was to attach it and a Little Debbie bobblehead to a weather balloon and then... <laughs> And then attach three GoPros and a GPS tracking device and just send it to space. Are the GoPros still transmitting? Um, I believe it came back down at some point. Mm. Um, hold on. This article says it was anticipated the balloon would travel approximately 110 miles and climb 98,000 feet before landing somewhere in the Nantahala National Forest. <laughs> they had absolutely no um, no intentions of going to get their GoPros and their GPS cameras back. So wherever those have ended up, somebody got a snack. So somebody a got a snack of bobblehead. <laughs> and three GoPros and, three and a GPS device. <laughs> Oh my gosh! For that, for that one special little boy or girl, that was Christmas, Christmas Day. I just I think it's probably a guy with a metal detector. If I'm being honest. Oh, in the Nevada National Forest, probably. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, <laughs> Haley. Mercy. So, anyways, that made my heart happy. Ay ay ay. It felt like a decent jump, James. Yeah, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Okay. So, Stephen. Yeah. What you got for me? Would you like to hear the story of one of the greatest swindlers of the Gilded Age? <gasps> you know I love swindlers and you know I love the Gilded Age. So the answer is yes. Yes. So. If I said no, would you tell it to me anyways? <gasps> rude. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> you said it back to me because I already said it first. I said the so, thing. I said the thing I right. said earlier. Yeah, but I said it first. So moving right along, in the annals of crime, in the what? The annals. Oh, it's annals. An is an annals. <laughs> annals. Annals. <laughs> annals of. I'm... Annals of crime. Um. <laughs> The annals of crime. Yes, I do words real good. So, no. Um, off of one of the websites I, I found, I, I was researching because I actually... So, real quick, my deluge into studying like really expensive cures and things like that led me to a individual that I need to... I want to research more. But I actually found a guy that was really interesting and perfect for tonight. And one of the websites that I was eventually led to is the annals of crime. Uh, which they kind of compile um, a full bibliography of various criminals and all like through all different time periods throughout. And this particular criminal slash swindler slash nerf herder uh, is actually really perfect because he fits because he was in the Gilded Age and this guy had money. He was to do and he did some crazy things with his money and he did some crazy things with other people's money. 
So let's dive right in. The I'm so ready. The individual I'm so ready. is a man by the name of Leo Quartz. Leo Quartz? Quartz like the mineral? Nope. Quartz as in K-O-R-E-T-Z. Ah, got it. He was born in 1881 and he was a successful stockbroker that worked in Chicago during the Gilded Age. And he had a comfortable, if not a very luxurious home. Uh, He also had a wife and child. He was a very well-respected and a well-known businessman who uh, represented, as a stockbroker, some of the very wealthiest families in the Midwest. So over the years, um, his stock uh, purchases, his investments on behalf of these millionaires uh, proved to be really sound, profitable, but um, he um, saw all these millionaires becoming multimillionaires. And, you know, he was working for them. He was investing their uh, their money, seeing, you know, big gains, big returns, especially, obviously, pre, you know, pre-1920s, um, you know, uh, pre-1930s, pre-Great Depression, pre-stock market crash, um, mm-hmm. you know, the right at the turn of the century. Um, so he, because he had this dream, he had several avenues to achieve this dream legitimately. Absolutely. He was intelligent. He was a very, very intelligent stockbroker. He knew how to read the market. He knew how to make wise investments. He knew how to get big returns. He could have become a multimillionaire himself. But his little wicked... But he did some illegal things. His, did he, his did, little he wicked heart. He chose, he chose the dark path. He chose the dark side. Aww. Um, so a, uh, a scheme slowly began to take shape in his little conniving brain and he would eventually swindle his own clients out of all of their inherited millions. So oh boy. let's get down into it. In 1916, Mr. Koritz began telling confidentially to a few of his close intimate friends, some of his best investors, that he had taken a bit of a gamble and bought more than about 5 million acres of land in Panama, which too many. encompassed the Bayano River. He had followed a wild impulse, he said, and bought the land, quote-unquote, blind, because he was able to buy it at a bargain basement price. A few months later, he informed a few people that he was leaving for Panama to inspect his holdings. With that, Leo went on a three-month vacation. (laughs) He visited New York, New Orleans, and other cities where he was not known, but he never went anywhere near Panama. When Quartz returned to Chicago, okay, so actually before I get into this part of his life, obviously, so he had his friends who he had purchased investments for, he had his friends invest in these in this land promising oil promising you know natural resources so he just took their money and stockholded it away into a fake quote-unquote piece of land that didn't okay. really exist that he never bought so yep when courts returned back to chicago uh his lifestyle started improving dramatically uh he bought a 21 room mansion and i will send you a picture of said mansion <laughs> I just don't know who needs that many rooms. This is the only picture that I could find. It's this a, is so weird. Like it, it's, it's, it's definitely a mansion. It's got like a weird tower thing. Yeah, but look at the um, look at the contrast between Hearst Mansion and then like this guy's mansion. Like two different styles, two different aesthetics. 
Oh, absolutely two different aesthetics. Yeah. I will be putting these photos up on Twitter and Instagram, so go follow us if you want to see these photos. And uh, uh, I'm also uploading a picture of Mr. Koritz himself. Oh, no, he's nerdy. Yeah, look at those bottle cap glasses. No, you know who he looks like? He looks like, um, he looks like fucking Tintin. Oh my gosh, you're right. Now I can't unsee that. Moving on. <laughs> he, he looks like Tintin <laughs> with glasses. He's got the exact haircut of Tintin yep. where it's like all forehead, tiniest amount of hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's got a dapper bow tie though. Like he's killing the he's bow tie. He's got an egg head. Yeah, he does. This guy. All right, so... Um, he, so he hired contractors to actually transform this mansion. Um, this was actually, uh, a picture taken in 1911 or 12, I want to say. So this is pre what he did and I can't find any pictures of it after, of it, of it after I, I searched and searched. So I'm sure I'm just missing something, but anyways. We'll see if we can't go digging for that, but all right. So the, the house... Well, it's a mansion, but it looks like the siding of it looks like a house. I know. Um, I know. Like the exterior style of it, it looks like you could like break this into like four different chunks and it would just be like four houses. Four houses. I know. Except for like the weird, like you said, the weird tower teepee looking thing. I don't know. It's a weird tower. It looks like, I don't know. It's too large and too round and it's got like a pointy little cone cap. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. It's very strange. So he hired contractors to transform this into a very palatial uh, country estate where he could entertain in style. It featured a music room, a billiard table, an outdoor tennis court, and an on-site power plant to supply heat and electricity. He had his own power plant? Mm-hmm. Yep. He had his own power plant right there on the property. Because money. Is that our version of like a backup generator in, in 1912 yes. is you just have to own the entire power plant? Yes, or you have to build a power plant. Jesus. So for this guy, money was no object for him um, because he wasn't spending any of his own money. <laughs> That's the thing. No, no, he had that Panama money. That <laughs> yeah, Panama that quote unquote money. Panama money. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was, uh, but he was actually a very generous tipper. Um he once ordered uh, a $100 bill worth of ice cream at an ice cream parlor. And oh, sorry, no, no, he, sorry. He once ordered ice cream and then he tendered a $100 bill and then left without asking for the change. Jeez. Wow. That's actually. I mean, $100 in, what was this? 19. That's a lot of 1918. $100 is what? Five grand today? Yeah. Roughly? That's something. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's certainly a lot more than 100 Even, like, today, if I were to receive, like, a $100 tip working in a restaurant, I mean, of that's course. a lot. But then receiving $100 in 1918, also when everyone is dying around you because the Spanish influenza and World War One have just started. Yes. It's, boy, you love to, ha- you love to, you love to have a likable villain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He feels like a very likable villain to me. Tintin, Tintin's got a good heart. Here's hoping that he's swindling assholes. I don't know how to make that better. Yeah, well, he also purchased a lavish summer home on Lake Michigan. And he also bought two 1921 Rolls Royce um, 
oh, what oh, what was that? Whatever the model. Yeah, was. well, yeah, the the, the model, like it was like a Rolls Royce Phantom, a Rolls. It was like one of like the like the main models back then. He had two of them. Does he need two of them? Yes. Did he have like one on one property and one on the other? Uh, no, no, he had them both with him wherever he went. He's driving them both at the same time, just like leaning he, over the steering. He's riding in one, and then he just has another one that that just goes with them, like 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 an escort. <sighs> both those cars, so today's stupid. money, are valued at around eight hundred thousand a piece. That's too much. Yep. That's too much money. Also, I just googled it. Is it the Silver Ghost? That's it. Nineteen twenty-one Rolls Royce Silver Ghost. Yes. Be- this thing is huge. Beautiful cars, though. Beautiful It's absolutely gorgeous. Cars. It's like an open carriage sort of situation absolutely. like old-timey cars are. But, um, no, it's 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 big and it's gorgeous and also so long. It's so long. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, Mr. Koritz had inquiring friends asking him, Mr. Koritz. Where did all this come from? Where did this lifestyle come from? To which he responded, he had, uh, he had had, in quotes, a bit of good luck. That's all. Nothing to talk about. End quotes. That's not a shady response. Yeah. People were so trusting back then. So the more he refused to talk about his Panam- Panamanian investment, the more his investors insisted knowing about it. Finally, probably a smart decision, honestly. Yeah. So finally, one night, Mr. Quartz visited the club with his friends, pretended to get a bit tipsy, and then uncharacteristically chatty, started gushing forth the story of the of the of the Bayano lands. Of course, the lands were near the quote unquote Bayano River. Right. In quotes, the mahogany tricks are thick as wheat fields. I've got 600 men cutting down in three shifts. They work at night, even by torchlight. We're shipping so many tons of mahogany out of the jungles that we cannot find enough boats to take them to the major ports. And now my manager down there, a Mr. Arthur Gibson, an oil expert, tells me there's black crude bubbling out of the holes left by the trees we're uprooting. He's never seen so much oil. With that, he showed a cable from Panama signed by an Arthur Gibson, quotes, which read, 700 tons of mahogany shipments stored along the riverbank. Need more tree-cutting crews for mahogany and new rigging for oil derricks. Return on mahogany and oil easily 20 to 1. Well, obviously this missive has got to be real because who in the world would, would fake a telegram? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my stars and goddess, it's written. T- is this their version of, well, it's on the Internet, so it must be true. It, this is exactly, well, well, Mr. Koritz said it, and Mr. Koritz is one of the smartest stockbrokers alive. And if he knows, then by golly gee, golly willikers, he's got to know his facts. Yeah, very much so. So. Uh, I love the idea of ripping up a tree. Yeah. And there's just oil. <laughs> uh, so. Koritz's friends and his investors quickly concluded that this was the source of his new wealth. <laughs> they clamored to invest in his properties, Sweet. practically fighting to have him take their money to further develop oh. the mahogany forest and establish oh. the Pomanian oil fields on Koritz's oh fabulous Bayano real estate. He permitted a few close friends to participate, then a few more, until dozens of the tycoons he had brokered stock for stock for over the years were investing in his firm, the Bayano Timber and Oil Company. Oh my god! 
investors were more than pleased with their returns. Uh, they got as much as 50% on their money almost every year. Koritz was hailed as a financial genius. He returned huge profits to his investors by employing the old Peter DePaul scam, paying earlier investors with the money later investors made in his firm. While, ah, it's just one big cycle. While retaining enormous amounts for his own use. Oh my god. It was, this man I, is a jackass, but a genius. Mr. Koritz. You gotta love a good grift. Yeah. Actually, Mr. Mister Koritz is actually hailed as the original Ponzi. The original Ponzi. How have I never heard of mm-hmm. this guy before? So, it was even rumored that even the redoubtable... William Randolph Hearst was an investor Ooh. in Koritz's fabulous enterprises. How fun. Well, my dipshit, my dipshit Hearst didn't lose anything, and I think that's garbage. <laughs> How fun. Oh, poor Tanny Bean. Um, oh, was there a Tanny Bean in the background screaming? Yeah, there's a Tanny Bean screaming. Anyways, so, uh, yes, so Mr. Hearst, hey, how fun. See, this was perfect. It lined up with it, the stars. Aligned. We didn't even plan this. We don't consult before. We don't talk beforehand. We just get on and do this thing. So one of these days we're going to have the same topic and it's going to be bad. Yep. Mr. Hearst. Uh, yes. Uh, he was an investor, but this no doubt came when Hearst is right hand editorial director and fellow newspaper tycoon, Arthur Brisbane also invested heavily in the Bionda Timber and oil company. But Mr. Brisbane went further. He gave an enormous banquet in honor of Mr. Koritz and inv- invited more than 500 fellow millionaires to attend in praise of Mr. Leo Koritz. The Fets on Fets was... I just want my fancy rich friends to come and give you a pat on the back for being fancy and rich. But little did they know. Oh, no. The Fet was held in the main ballroom of the Congress Hotel. During the festivities, a horde of newspaper boys newsies suddenly raced into the ballroom waving extras and shouting extra extra read all about it leo koritz oil swindle con man koritz exposed <gasps> millions lost in swindle oh my god who planned this sting which person what detective do i have to applaud before anyone suffered an apocalyptic attack or stroke brisbane quickly rose smiling the grinning Koritz at his side. Brisbane announced that the whole thing was a party joke. It's a lark, what? announced Brisbane. Who the? No. Mr. Koritz no. is a great and honorable financier. Brisbane went on to explain that he had even printed the fake extra newspapers. What? Who the fuck would believe this? This, what? Oh, oh, this is such on. a shitty cover up. Keep your pants. Hold on. Here we go. Brisbane no. then, in honor of Mr. Quartz, led the gathered tycoons in a rousing rendition of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow. What the fuck? Quartz bowed when he was engulfed with a thunderous applause. Oh my god, he's so ballsy. Oh, yes. he's so full of himself. The party jest, however, proved all too real. It began to put small seeds of suspicion in the minds of some of his investors who in the late 1920s sent representatives to Panama to check on Mr. Koritz's operations. Oh, no. They reported back that the Viano Timber and Company oil company simply did not exist. Neither did yeah. Arthur Gibson. No one in Panama had ever even heard of Leo Koritz. 
Coming back to the States, the investors attempted to track down Mr. Quartz, who, surprisingly, was no longer in Chicago. He fled, but he was finally tracked down in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he was living like a king with a company of, with a harem of several women. Oh, dear God. Koritz was then extradited to Illinois, tried in Chicago, and convicted in December of 1924. I said late 1920s, I meant 1923, so not, not late 1920s. Anyways. Mid, uh, yeah, the early to mid. So he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Just 10 Only years. Only 10. Only 10. For swindling over $30 million from his investors, roughly equal to a staggering $400 million in today's currency. Oh my God. After his arraignment, Mr. Court said, I will never serve a day in Joliet State Prison, he said confidently from his cell in Cook County Jail before, he, before leaving. Is he going to a different prison? <laughs> One of his obliging girlfriends bought him a five-pound box of candy. On January 6, 1925, Quartz sat down on his prison bunk, ate the entire box of candy in one sitting, then keeled over dead. Was he diabetic? He was an acute diabetic, and the massive oh ingestion of sugar killed him, as he knew it would, thus proving him right that he would never serve a day in Joliet State Prison. My mouth is agape. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have a Mr. Leo Koritz. And now, before we adieu for this evening, I have two more pictures to show, if you don't mind. Yes, please. I would like to show you a wanted picture for Mr. Leo Koritz. Oh, our sweet egghead. And then finally... Uh, for using the mails to defraud. A uh, paper from the 1920s uh, denotating his capture in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's see if we can't zoom on this. Biggest confidence man in U.S. captured in Halifax. I always forget that con man stands for confidence man. Yep. Because they're right. You have to have a lot, lot of confidence. confidence to pull this shit off and god did he have a lot of confidence but like i can't believe the way that he went out this is a movie Isn't it crazy? how is this not a movie i know i know this this has to be a movie it's like not. that was legitimately that was like a book ending i know it's crazy how did you find him like i said the rabbit hole that i went down took me to the annals of crime and <laughs> Mr. Leo was <laughs> near the tippity top of those anals. So. <laughs> the anals. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so then uh, you see on, on the uh, the Morning Chronicle on the right-hand side, Mr. Leo Quartz, the Chicago Swindler, arrested in Halifax. Oh, my God. It's so good. So there you have it, folks. The original Ponzi. The original Ponzi. Not even Ponzi was the original Ponzi. Yep. So he's not the OG, but he's the OP. Am I right? Am I right? Oh, hey. Hey. No, I, I agree completely. This. Oh, my. Th thank you for that one. That was amazing. That, that was a special was one fabulous. for me, too. I had a lot of fun researching him, and that is just bananas. But that just goes to show, like, the naivety and just the trust that people had 
in each other back, you know, because, you know, you think about it, in the Gilded Age, you know, you, you know, the type of caliber of men, you know, that were going off to war that were, you know, like you said, the fighting in World War One, you know, the type of, you know, business that was done. Of course, you know, there was a lot of shady shit that, have, that we have uncovered, you know, over the course of these episodes, you know, people in the Gilded Age spending and doing crazy stuff with their money. Not necessarily shit, but just, you know, obviously spending crazy money. But yeah, I mean, that just goes to show like, you know. It's amazing. I just love that he was outed at a party with all of his like and investors it was a and fellow. Joke. And he's, oh, hey guys, no, no, they're just joking. I did it to I scare know. the shit out of you. Oh, and everyone was like, oh, ha ha, what a what a prankster. What a prankster. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Brisbane, these these prank newspapers are such a joke. <laughs> you just I can't good, believe sir. the lengths that you've gone to. <laughs> yes, this can't possibly be false. This can't possibly be a thing. Oh uh, my god. But you know there. But there was that one guy, that one guy in the party at the back, probably, you know, he was, he was the guy that probably like the other investors, like he was like on the low totem pole of the investors, meaning like, you know, he was the guy that other investors were like, oh yeah, you're an investor, but you're not really one of us because this, this was the, he was the wise guy. He was the guy that was like super intelligent and saw through the cracks and, and he was that guy that was like, you know, something's off about this. Something's fishy. Hey, hey, uh, 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 hey, uh, Conrad, uh. Yeah, this, uh, I'm just going to throw out a name. Hey, Conrad, you know, this, uh, this doesn't seem, uh, you know, this doesn't seem right. Uh, Timothy, you're such a fool. (laughs) But, but it was, it was Timothy. Again, you know, I changed the names to protect the innocent. It was Timothy (laughs) that, you know, had that first initial idea of, you know, something's fishy. Something. Yeah, fishy. I'm glad that somebody decided to actually send an emissary to Panama and be like, hey, what's up with this? Yeah. That feels like the smart thing to do from the get-go, but who's got time to send an emissary to Panama, you know? Yeah, who's got time? Who has got time? Well, there you have it. Just amazing. All right. Well, thank you for that one, Stephen. You're welcome. And as for the rest of you lovely Gilded Gang, um, I hope you're all doing well in your hold-up quarantine. Yes. If anyone is playing Animal Crossing, hey, reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram because yeah. Steven and I are both playing. Absolutely. We'd love to be friends with you. Yeah. Um, come visit our islands. Come visit our islands. They're nothing special There's yet, plenty of social distancing there. on our islands. There's so much social <laughs> so distancing much. on our islands. Um <laughs> But in any case, I just would absolutely uh, love to hear from you guys. Uh, Made a post a little while ago saying I just want to do a mental health check-in for everybody. If you need somebody to talk to, reach out to us. We're here. Uh, We're here to make your day a little bit brighter. So uh, get on Twitter. That's at OUnnecessaryPod or Instagram at OutrageouslyUnnecessary to see the photos that we've done, to chat with us, uh, do whatever. We're down. But in any case... Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good night.